0: I think the most important thing that I try and remember for myself and for other people here is that our, our mind and body are not separate. And and that for us to be kind of fully realized as humans, we have to get back to that wisdom of the body. Right? We have to get back to what like ancient cultures knew and and create more ritual. Lean into storytelling, lean into connection um, with other people, right? Um, Create and sustain safe and healthy relationships and feel that in your body when that happens. I think that's our key to like another wave of evolution, maybe Mm -hmm. as a species. And at the same time, I look at how many people are in the world that are just going through the motions on autopilot and doing what they think is the right thing. And it may be right for them, right? But I can see so much trauma being passed down.
1: Welcome to Awakening Lives, a podcast of the Spirituality Network. We seek to cultivate the awakened life through contemplative living and action. Joining me today is Ryan McGuire, Brian, I'm so happy to be able to spend this time with you. Can can we start with uh, just do a little self-introduction so our listeners know a little bit about you?
0: Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is a great honor to be here. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist, an independent marriage and family therapist in Columbus. Um, I specialize in somatic psychotherapy and trauma with an extra specialization in uh, early childhood attachment and developmental trauma, as well as shock trauma, um, all through the lens of Working with the body and somatically. Prior to uh, my graduate studies in transpersonal psychology, I studied um, comparative religious studies at OSU. So I have kind of, you know, a spiritual psychological fusion of sorts that I'm working from. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, when
1: I thought about uh, the possibility of doing something at the network where uh, we explored more about the body you're the first person that came to mind to mm-hmm. me. And uh, I just so excited to uh, see what I might learn from this discussion with you.
0: Awesome. Again, it's an honor. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So uh, I recently had the the pleasure of reading a book by Hilary McBride called the, the Wisdom of Your Body, mm-hmm. which I thought thought was really powerful. And I know you haven't read it, but sure. uh I know you're familiar with many of the the concepts in there. And uh so let's let's just have a conversation yeah. about this. I, I want to go back before we get into the conversation to set some context for this. that okay. the the spirituality network, our vision is awakening lives, transforming the world. Mm-hmm. And uh it it is a vision that uh re- deeply resonates with me. And when I think about the notion of awakening, uh, there's an awful lot that uh, has to do with awakening the mind, awakening the heart. But I think there is an awakening to the body that also needs to happen uh, so that uh, we could be holistically present to our, ourselves. Right. And uh, so I think that's why it's so important that we have a conversation about the body, mm-hmm. and to truly understand our relationship with our bodies, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's,
0: um I, I think that's very common, because when we're talking about spiritual practices, or we're talking about even therapy and psychology, it's usually a study of the mind, or a practice of the mind. And that's how I went into it. And I remember in grad school, I had a, a really amazing teacher who's a therapist in, in San Francisco and a somatic body worker and trauma specialist. And she asked me what kind of work I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to work in substance abuse, but I didn't want to work with trauma. Okay. <laughs> and that's like she did. She laughed, she laughed at me. And I knew right there, there was something in it. And she's a somatic psychotherapist. So I knew there's a connection to trauma in the body. And I quickly realized that we can't work. On the things that I want to work on with people without addressing the body Um, because our body holds our experience and tells us what the world is all about but we tend not to listen to it
1: well you you just used the phrase our bodies Mm -hmm. and one of the the points that uh Hillary made in her book was the notion of having a body Mm -hmm. versus being a body and I I think it's common at at least I it resonated with me the idea that I have this body not I am a body
0: yeah exactly yeah I mean we, we come into the world with it it's it's absolutely who we are yes it's our vehicle yeah right um and without it what do we have
1: yeah and and I think that uh by the same token we kind of separate the soul from the body too mm-hmm. and I I think the the power comes when we think about these as one right. and and integrated and connected
0: right Exactly. My website is mind body integration, um, but yeah, that's exactly what it's all about. It's bringing the mind and the body into a place where they can understand each other. Yes, because we've been so disconnected from the two, even though it's one unit.
1: Yeah, right. yeah. So uh, the another thing that uh, was in the book was this notion of being disembodied, mm-hmm. and uh, and and as I thought about it like so many things, there's a journey to becoming embodied. Sure. And uh, I, I'm curious from your perspective, what what does it take? What, what are the defining characteristics mm-hmm. for someone who is on a journey to move from being disembodied to being to embodied? Be
0: embodied? Well, I guess maybe the first place I, I would want to start with this is how to become disembodied right, that term, I mean, we're born with a body, this is who we are, but then we become disembodied at some point, and why does that happen? And I think generally it's because something um, traumatic, scary, um, something we can't integrate happens to us, and our body experiences it first before it sends signals to our brain to tell us what's going on, mm-hmm. but if it's too much too fast, or we can't process it, there's no safety around it, then we dissociate, or we disconnect, we become disembodied because our body is holding too many painful memories for us to be with. Mm. And so we learn to kind of push it away and not listen to the body anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. right? Um, because again, our body holds all of our experiences and, and is kind of like our guide to tell us um what's going on in the world and in our lives Mm -hmm. but if that is too painful we don't want to feel it yeah right yeah so that could happen before we're born yes that can happen right after we're born or during birth or as a child
1: or or probably many times yeah you know over the course of
0: our lives exactly right um and so i think culturally we are a very disembodied culture In the context of what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. we do a lot with the body. Yes, we use it in a lot of ways, but I think that we're generally disembodied when it comes to like healing or being on a spiritual path. Mm -hmm. So I think that the best way to get into it is to start learning the language of sensation that happens in our body, Mm -hmm. little by little. Right. Um, The work that I do with people, um, I, I in my private practice, I really focus on titration, and that is kind of like an old science term where like, you know, you're mixing two chemicals and you just drop one little drop of one into another and wait and see what the reaction is, Hmm. right? Because you don't want to put it all in there because it might explode. Sure. So the journey to being more embodied for me is a slower process, especially with people that are holding on to lots of unresolved trauma, Mm -hmm. right? And so the, the gateway to that is to learning the language of sensation. Every emotion and experience that we have has a sensation in the body that corresponds to it, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're angry, your body's going to know that first before your brain does. If you're sad, your body's going to know it first. If you're happy, right? So I would say um, where I usually start is getting people to start to try and feel and identify sensations in their body that feel pleasant or neutral. And I don't want to say good or bad Mm -hmm. because that puts a negative positive spin. So does kind of pleasant, neutral, unpleasant. But we don't want to name our sensations or our feelings as good or bad. Yes. They just are. It's yeah, of us. being angry could be good. It could be. I mean, I think it's really good as yes. long as we know how to navigate it and process it. And so, like helping people learn what feels neutral or pleasant in their body. So, like maybe just let's start by feeling the sunshine on your face, and that feels pleasant or neutral, because right? our body doesn't understand language. Yeah, you know? it understands sensation.
1: So I, I'm I'm curious. You know, we've we've been using some pretty simple language here
0: mm-hmm. uh right.
1: pleasant good bad right. uh sometimes i wonder if we need to be better at describing the the things that we feel mm-hmm. in in broader terms instead of saying i hurt mm-hmm. uh you know using more descriptive language do you do you try to get to very descriptive language or are you comfortable keeping at whatever language somebody is already well, familiar with
0: that, that well that's a great question and it all depends on the person right if you're starting out with a new language if you're, if you're learning how to speak spanish for the first time um you're going to have to learn the basics of it first mm-hmm. before you start forming complex sentences yes and understanding how to use the grammar it's the same with body sensations. If you've never tuned into your body to identify what it feels like, mm-hmm. the simpler the better. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and then you start to build on it. So you know, like when I feel anxious, I notice my my chest starts to get tight. So mm-hmm. there's a tightness. There's a heaviness. Mm-hmm. Right. I start to sweat. There's um, a tension. Right. And those are all pretty simple words. But again, the body doesn't need to doesn't need to understand the complexity of the words mm-hmm. we just want to know the, the sensations okay right yeah um and so i would say the the simpler the better yeah um because we don't want to start over analyzing
1: yes so uh, yeah absolutely so clearly therapy is one way mm-hmm. of um uh, moving from disembodied to embodied, sure. what what other ways are there
0: that uh, we can be more in tune with our bodies? Um, it could be exercise, um, as long as we're listening to our body and not pushing it too hard. But I think some of the better ways um, for me personally, and this this again, this is a personal preference. I don't wanna say anything across the board, like this is what people should do or need to be doing. This works for me and other people that I've worked with. So um, sometimes meditation, um, doing body scans um, and uh, mindfulness practice. Um, dance is very important, mm. right. So I love to dance. I love to move my body. Yeah, uh, moving it with a rhythm of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, is very healing. yes, right? And, and you get into a flow state when you dance that you know the ego kind of goes away. Uh, those parts of your brain that are over analyzing and overthinking, they kind of take a back seat. And you get to move your body freely. Maybe. So
1: I, I wish that were yeah. always the case. Right, right, right. So that's
0: why I said it works for me, but not everybody. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, because you know, sometimes when I'm dancing, I'm outside my body, uh-huh. observing how I'm dancing uh-huh. and being very critical of, of how I'm moving. Yeah. And uh, so I have to get back into my body mm-hmm. and just experience the music and move right. and not worry about what other people might be thinking about the way I'm moving.
0: For sure. And and I'm like that too, 100%. And I've come a long way in that. You know, the dance like nobody's watching. Yes. What people have been watching for most of my life. right? <laughs> yes. And now I'm getting to the point where I can dance like nobody's watching. But I had to be curious about why was it hard for me to be so embodied in a yeah. public space? Yeah. You know, what was, what, what happened in my life mm-hmm. that caused that kind of self-doubt,
2: Yes, you
0: know, to come through. But I think, you know, dancing is, is as old as we are. As yeah. dance. So I think getting back to a place where you can dance, like you've healed something. Yoga is wonderful. Yoga is a great way to become more embodied. Um, more mundane, simple things like taking a shower, mm-hmm. you know, like aiming the shower head at different parts of your body and noticing, what does it feel like on the back of my neck? what does it feel like on my chest right that's a that's a way that i I try and get a lot of my clients to start learning those sensations because most people take a shower on the regular yes and it seems like a safe place to explore bodily sensation right so i mean there's just lots of ways like that um and of course as a therapist the work that i do with people you know safe touch right um learning what it's like to feel safe and physical connection with somebody mm-hmm. you know it's like holding hands with a partner or a child or a trusted friend or a loved one holding each other's hand and noticing like, what are the sensations in my hand right now and as i notice the warmth of your hand on my hand you know my arm starts to tingle or my heart starts to speed up right there's other things happening in your body when you're holding hands with somebody mm-hmm. right? and so you can find a find out a lot about your sensations yeah you know, by doing something simple like that
1: right it it seems like that it has to be a, a journey of learning to trust other people and yourself, and yourself
0: as you go through this exploration. 100%. And that's at the core of the work that I do in my own spiritual practice. It's kind of like my goal for me, and I guess I, I don't want to have a goal for my clients, but the space that I hold for people is to try and get people to feel safe in their body, mm-hmm. and whatever sensations that they're experiencing, and then be able to feel safe in connection with somebody else. So when we feel safe in ourselves and we feel safe in relationship, we feel safe in the world. Yeah. And then then I believe that's where we reach that kind of um optimal human experience.
2: Yeah.
1: You yeah, know that that is not unlike the kind of environment I want to create when I'm mm-hmm. In spiritual direction with someone, right. want to create that that safety. And you know, as you were talking about becoming disembodied, uh, I I have a personal belief. I I don't know what, if this is true or not, mm-hmm. but it it uh, means something to me that there is a God spirit within all of us, yes. and that over time as we grow, we have. Learned how to mask Mm. access to that God spirit. And I believe that maybe the second half of our lives, and not necessarily in terms of years, but the, the, the journey becomes learning how to strip away that mask mm-hmm. so that we could ask access that God spirit sure. within us. And, and I think it's kind of the same thing, Absolutely. learning to reconnect with our bodies
0: mm-hmm. because we've
1: learned how to disconnect from
0: them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when we find that connection, there's a sense of wholeness that comes with it. Yes. Right. And, and I know that I've also found it, uh, you know, peel away the veil And, and, you know, and I can't keep it away all the time. Right. It closes on me.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Where did that go? Well,
1: it it, it becomes, it has become the way that we operate. uh You know, it is our norm. It it is our standard operating procedure. And it takes effort to learn a new way to live. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. And and as we're on our healing path, if you want to call it that, or our spiritual journey, uh, or the path becoming more embodied, we're going to get these things called glimmers, mm. Um which you probably heard of like triggers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That was a stressful reminder of something painful, but there's also glimmers that mm. we experience on a spiritual path or a healing journey uh, and in the work that I do. And it's those glimmers that that wholeness is available. I like that. Yeah. um We don't talk about that a lot. You know, we talk about triggers. And, yeah. Like, I'm being triggered right now. And, and, but and that's important because we want to understand, you know, what kind of reminders people are carrying around. But how often do we talk about glimmers?
1: Yeah, I I, I think that's beautiful. You know, in a Christian context, we talk about original sin, mm-hmm. which I've tried to get away from and right. focus more on original blessing. Yeah. You know, yeah, what, yeah. what what is it that we were created to be exactly. and uh, reconnect with that mm-hmm. rather than the thing that has separated us
0: from our original intent? Yeah, that's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it's different words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, you know, when you're talking about safety and creating a trusting environment, mm-hmm. I spent most of my life in a corporate environment. Yeah. And intuition, and listening to our bodies mm-hmm. was not valued in a corporate setting, right? it It it's is, uh, it, it is not productive, it mm-hmm. is not rational. Uh-huh. It is not uh, something that you clearly identify. Do you find that is that a common thing or is that something that i just experienced in a in a corporate setting
0: no it, it, in our culture i think it's very common you know because i think our intuition um steers us in a different direction than a capitalist corporate society right so i think that a lot of times we have to go against our intuition to survive you know to hold down a career or a family um and so i think we're taught to ignore our intuition um Even when we're kids and we're crying or we're upset and we're told that we shouldn't be crying or there's nothing to be mad about, our intuition is getting kind of chiseled away in those little moments, right? Yeah. Because we're just emoting as a human and then we're being told that that way of doing it isn't okay, right? Uh, And then so we start to doubt our own intuition. Am I really sad? I feel sad, but all these people are telling me that there's nothing to be sad about. So, and then we start to get confused, right?
1: So I, I may be totally wrong to, about this because I, I'm just learning about the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems to me mm-hmm. that the vagus nerve is the the freeway that connects our yes. intuition to our to our brain and causes mm-hmm. our body to react in a certain way. So they're, they're, we're wired uh, to have these feelings, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems like discounting them uh, is, using your your words from earlier, it is not tapping into our whole selves. Right.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know about as much as me <laughs> about the vagus nerve, and I think the person who studied it the most, and I'm forgetting his name right now, and I shouldn't be forgetting his name because he's done the most research on the vagus nerve and polyvagal theory. Um, I've even read the study guide of this polyvagal theory. And I'm still kind of lost, um, but generally it's, it's the, the wandering nerve that goes from our brainstem and down our spine. And it controls a lot of autonomic functions mm-hmm. and heart rate and digestion, and all these things. Yeah. Right. And um, it's always in action. Yes. It's always sending signals to all of our organs and everything um, and telling us this is how you navigate this, but then we're telling it that it's wrong right, in some sort of way.
1: So it, it seems that sometimes those automatic responses, mm-hmm. let me say, are less than socially appropriate, mm-hmm. and so it seems like we have to somehow manage and control some of those automatic responses uh, because they we we could behaving be behaving in a way that causes harm to mm-hmm. other people. Sure.
0: Like major reactions yes. to stress. Yes. Right. When I get angry, I can start. I grab something and I throw it. Yes. Like immediately. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying I do that, but you know, those kinds of responses. Yes. Yeah. Um. So that that's a big topic. So we can try and unpack it a little bit. So we have two branches of our nervous system: sympathetic and parasympathetic. And the sympathetic is the gas pedal, right? So we need sympathetic charge in our nervous system to get up out of bed and go to work or to greet our Family and friends, or we need a little bit of stress, it's our stress. Mm -hmm. Um, but oftentimes we hit the gas and don't let off the gas. And then we have the parasympathetic, and that's the rest and digest branch of the nervous system, that's the brake pedal. So when a stressor is over, then the parasympathetic comes in and helps us calm down and relax and you know feel grounded again. Now, if we have a lot of trauma or a dysregulated nervous system, we don't know when. To press the gas and press the brakes. It's just doing it for us. Mm-hmm. There's this stressful situation, and right. Um, and sometimes there's not enough time to make a choice, mm-hmm. right? We don't have enough resilience in our nervous system. Anger comes on, and it happens so fast that we just react to it. You know, it was a Viktor Frankl, I think, that said between stimulus and response, there's a choice. Yes not for everybody okay I, I, I believe that quote but if you don't have resilience in your nervous system yes. your choice is gone it's yeah literally when your sympathetic nervous system is engaged the part of your brain that makes logical rational choices is kind of offline
1: so is the, is that a learned uh response or is it
0: innate to mm-hmm. certain people i think it's both right this gets into the nature nurture Mm -hmm. we come into the world with an undeveloped nervous system and an undeveloped brain yeah and i I do believe that we come into the world with a piece of us that's like our personality Mm -hmm. it's like who we are yes maybe that's the nature right but then our brain and our nervous system is developed by our interaction with the world right so again that could start in the womb yes so if your mother is really stressed and you're in the womb all well, those stress hormones are going to you, and your nervous system is developing under high levels of stress mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. If you have a stressful birth, right? Yeah. Um, if you have a stressful childhood, yeah. Right? You're gonna your nervous system is going to develop in that context, right? And so it develops from zero to seven the fastest. Once it's there, the beauty is that we can change it. But once it's there, it's it's pretty hardwired in. Yes. And then we go off into the world with however our nervous system is responding
1: so it seems that um especially for people for whom that gap between stimulus and response mm-hmm. is not well defined they need to have mechanisms for recovery mm-hmm. and uh for mm-hmm. uh restoring yeah. relationships I, yeah. I imagine that's true for everybody yeah. but particularly right. so right. for people with that, that
0: challenge mm-hmm. yeah for sure uh and the, the path of becoming more embodied helps us do that so if my old pattern is like when you upset me and i get angry and my first reaction is to turn and throw something you know it's not as helpful for me to just go okay when i'm mad don't throw anything i can't just think about that i have to feel my way through that mm-hmm. so i feel the anger start to come on and it's oh my fists are starting to clench you know i'm starting to get that thing in my throat that you know And then that tells me that I need to do some of my somatic work. I need to do take some breaths. I need to do some grounding work and feel my feet on the earth. Look for something in my body that feels neutral or pleasant and focus my attention there. You know, like my fists are all balled up, but is there a part of me that feels nice and loose? And then I shift my attention to that. Hmm. If I keep doing that over and over and over for seemingly more than a decade that choice starts to become available yes i can start to go oh i'm getting mad i can feel it in my body and i do a little bit of work Mm -hmm. and then the parasympathetic comes on and starts to calm me down yeah and i don't have to throw anything but it's not a choice really that you can make um so much as a different experience that organically happens when you start to become more embodied
1: so you 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 talked about nature uh i think we probably need to talk about the western cultural context in which most of us Mm -hmm. live Uh, so it seems like there are messages that we share with one another Mm -hmm. and we embrace just by the fact that we live
2: in this western society right yeah uh
0: i don't even know where to start with that um where specifically do you want me do you want me to go with it
1: uh, really really anywhere you know for for me I think about um kind of the the puritanical uh rules that uh this country was originally founded in and which are still so prevalent mm-hmm. uh at, at, I'm grateful to see some change and some release from some of that yeah. and some openness to uh at least an understanding of the implications of those, Um, those barriers or those burdens that we put on ourselves because of some of that that thinking Uh, but that has to have have an impact on how we see our bodies and how our bodies respond to things going on around us
0: yeah and yeah I think there's so much in our culture that leads more towards shame of our body than uh, experiencing our bodies. Um, from a place of joy mm-hmm. um, and connection. yes, you know we're shamed for all sorts of things the way the, the way our body looks mm-hmm. the, what we do with our bodies, you know um, how how we respond to things it's the shame is deep. That's the biggest barrier to being more embodied and, and we use our bodies um, in ways to get things done or to, you know uh, live up to a, some sort of, Uh, optimal aesthetic that that i don't think is necessarily real yeah you know
2: it's it's
1: photoshopped
0: right right totally and then we have all these expectations well well, why don't i look like that Mm -hmm. you know um and it's just it's just prevalent yeah you know and if you want to be uh an amazing athlete then you have to have the right body for it yeah and if you're not then if you don't have that then and you really love sports and you'd like to be athletic then shame comes in Mm -hmm. i'm not big enough i'm not small enough it's such a weird thing never be okay with the body that we have you know
1: so i as i mentioned to you privately before we started here i don't know a whole lot about eastern Mm -hmm. cultures but it seems like there there may be some things in eastern philosophies that uh might be something that we could learn from Mm -hmm. in in terms of how we view our bodies i'm as you said there are probably things that lead to shame in eastern uh philosophies as well but uh that it seems like this is one of those opportunities where we could learn from stepping outside of our culture
0: yeah and and i think it's because of eastern practices that we've learned and adopted in our culture that we came to this place where somatic work is now a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it all started from people practicing ideas from Buddhism, you know, and the Mm yogic traditions Mm -hmm. and bringing those practices here. I think those were the first like embodying spiritual practices that were here outside of the puritanical context, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and, And that's what I'm mostly familiar with is, you know, practices of meditation movement and yoga um, all coming from somewhere uh, on the eastern end of things yes now, whether it's you know india or tibet um, or you know china japan all those places um that's where a lot of these practices that we're now kind of using are rooted in yeah um that book that you read yeah uh, grace unfolding yes that's a very Taoist. yeah perspective and you know, that's just about like you know getting out of our own way and, and letting the Tao do what it does without trying to change it, you know. Um so it's it's all and that was like early uh, hakomi therapy, which I so
1: say more about that. What what does that mean?
0: Hakomi is a style it's like one of the first styles of somatic psychotherapy that was developed here in the United States. And it was very Taoist and Buddhist in its nature. It focuses on mind, body, holism. Um, this process of organicity, which is basically like getting out of the way and letting things organically unfold, so mm-hmm. not trying to force anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it's a very client-centered approach, um, and it's one of the very first body psychologies that was started in the 70s, I believe, before there was any research on mindfulness and neuroplasticity and and how the body heals. That they were just throwing rocks in the water, yeah, see, you know, and seeing what made the biggest splash. And they were really onto something.
1: So has that kind of fallen out of favor, or has
0: it evolved it into evolved. like Hakomi evolved into things like somatic experiencing, um, which I'm trained in. I'm trained in Hakomi and somatic experiencing, um, and you know, sensory motor therapy is another somatic one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a handful of them, and I think that they all started from that little place and then people became more curious and then they got science involved because you know and in, in our culture it's not, nothing's worth anything unless science can prove it, 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 it with some people <laughs> I don't believe that necessarily um I don't necessarily believe that you have to prove something yes you know Hakomi therapy and the therapy that I practice is very experiential and if someone has an experience Who am I to say, well, science does not validate your experience. That's not correct. But in order to make it a legitimate field of study and practice, they had to throw some scientific numbers.
1: Sure. So you you were talking earlier about uh, like within the um, context of athletics, you're too big, you're too small. Body image is so uh, such a weight that so many people Um, carry. Uh, But then body image isn't necessarily just about our appearance. Uh, so in, in what ways uh, do we, should we think about body image beyond just how we look?
0: Um, how we feel, right? Like I, I struggled with chronic back pain for over a decade. It was really, really terrible. Uh, you know, I fell into a deep depression. Um, a deep state of despair and hopelessness for a long time because I thought this was the rest of my life Mm. right but I was ashamed at the fact that I was you know 28 29 31 years old and that I felt like an 80 year old man Mm -hmm. right I was ashamed that I couldn't at age 35 or 36 I couldn't get on the floor with my kid Mm. and roll around with them Mm -hmm. you know or lift them up without wincing in pain and I, I blamed my body for it,
2: mm.
0: you know what I mean? And I was just ashamed of the body that I had, right? And, and that's just, you know, insignificant me with chronic back pain, you know? There's so many people in the world whose bodies don't, they, they just don't feel good in their body. Yes. For whatever reason, right? Not the way it looks, but the way it feels, you know? Um, your ability to do what other people can or can't do, like that comes into play too. And so I think that's a big part of it. And that's a lot of the unseen stuff. I don't like the way I walk, right? (laughs) I don't like the way I look when I'm on the dance floor, right, Um, or the way that I feel. So it's all, I think those are the big things. Yeah. Um, And then you get, you know, you get into the trauma, you know, let's say you were abused physically or sexually, you become ashamed of your body just as a result. It's one of the symptoms of it.
1: So you've you've brought up shame a couple of times. Oh, okay. what, what about guilt? How, yeah. how does that show up?
0: Um, I love Brene Brown's little uh, description of it because she says it so perfectly. Guilt is, I feel like I've done something wrong. And shame is, I am wrong. Something's wrong with me, mm-hmm. right? I'm yeah. not good enough. I'm not worthy of love. You know, I don't deserve to be happy. Guilt is like, you know what? I did that and that upset you or that upset me or whatever. Mm. That was wrong. And you can be accountable for that and you can make repair with somebody. Mm. I feel guilty for something that I've done. Yeah. Now they can go in hand in hand. They could go hand in hand easily. I've done this. So I'm not no longer worthy of love. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that's the biggest um, difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is easier to manage. If you want to be accountable, mm-hmm. if you have the capacity to be accountable, yes, and say, you know what, I really screwed up. I said something hurtful. Or I did something hurtful, and I'm ready to prepare it. And then you can move on from it. Shame can get us keep us stuck for a long time.
1: Yeah. So it's, I'm I'm curious, how do you define accountability? Because I, I think t- different people define it differently. Yeah. And and then perhaps also speak to uh, agency and in, in owning our bodies and and mm-hmm. the things that we do. Mm-hmm.
0: Um in a nutshell, um accountability is owning your shit. Right? Being upfront and honest with myself. If I'm going to be accountable, I have to be fully honest with myself and look at how I showed up in whatever context that Mm -hmm. was. Right. And and just really try and think: is what I said or did in line with my values, the ones I hold true for myself. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then I have. I have
1: to work on that, you know. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that I would add would be not only owning it, but taking steps to correct it yes, or absolutely. or doing something about it. I, I I can't just accept that I did something. I have to make yeah, an effort yeah. to make amends or to correct whatever it was that
0: yeah. I, I did. That's the whole package of owning. Yeah, like when you own a house, yes. you have to do the repairs, to make sure that sure it, right. Yeah, so when you own. Your behavior or your action then moving towards repair yeah. is the logical next step. Why would you want to own it if yeah. you didn't want to repair what happened? I think some people you know, do. Well, I do. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. You know, like this is a constant practice for me too, you know, just because I do this work and, mm-hmm. and and have for over a decade professionally, it doesn't mean that I'm done with it. Right. You know, there's still times where I'm like, I don't want to be
2: accountable. Yeah. For this
0: right now, you know, but I have to be. And then you know, taking the actions to move towards repair.
1: Yeah. So um how how do you feel about the, the notion of agency and how does that relate to, if at all, mm-hmm. with accountability?
0: How would you define agency? Um we'll flip it on you. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: so when when I think about agency, I I think about that I I have the right to uh my body mm-hmm. and to let my body express its way however it needs to express itself so being able to um not be forced into something Mm -hmm. that was under somebody else's idea of what they thought should be
2: for my body right
0: so in a sense like setting healthy boundaries for yourself yes yeah right what is okay for me to to do and to put up with, yeah,,
1: you know, which may be different than uh, what's okay for you, yeah, absolutely.
0: yeah, yeah everybody's boundaries are different. you're right. Um, and you know, I, I guess, as far as agency for me is very much the same as as what you explained. It's you know, this is who I am, and this is what I want for myself, and this is how I'm going to show up in the world. To try and move towards that. Yeah. Right. And again, I think for me, it's attached to my values. Mm-hmm. Yes. What do I value I value connection. I value love. I value friendship, you know? And so I have the agency to show up in the world to mm-hmm. move towards those things. Yes. And the agency to move away from that. Yeah. Because right? our do? values do change over time. Right. Right. And sometimes I'm not in line with my values. Yeah. Right. And when I am, that's where accountability comes in. Yeah. And says, hey.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you've brought up trauma. Let's let's explore that a little bit, uh, but also talk about uh, stress and what's what's the difference between stress and and trauma. Uh, is yeah. is stress just a lighter version of trauma, uh-huh. uh, or yeah. uh, just how do you view those two things?
0: Trauma is stress run amok.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> right. So um, my favorite definition of trauma is it's kind of three parts. Too much, too fast, and we can't process and integrate it. So you're looking at maybe like being attacked or a car accident yes. or something that happens suddenly that you just didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. And then you, you can't shake it off. Mm-hmm. Right? So too much, too fast. Um, too little for too long. Mm-hmm. So not enough love, not mm-hmm. enough attention, mm-hmm. right? not enough um, safe physical touch mm-hmm. for too long of a period of time is also trauma. And then too much for too long. Right. Um, you know, repeated abuse time, whether yeah. it's emotional or whatever. And so, the way it relates to stress, we need stress. I already kind of named that. It was like we need some stress in our nervous system, right? And our, adre- our adrenal glands will pump our stress hormones for us, um, listening to the vagus nerve and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's when the stress becomes unmanageable that it becomes toxic stress, right? So, from stress to toxic stress. And that is when we go from like anger. Which is healthy to something like rage, Hmm. right? Um, That's when there's too much stress in the body, Mm -hmm. right? Anger is normal, rage is not, right? Anxiety is normal, terror is not, yes, right? And so, when stress gets to be too high, it spills over into I can't manage this anymore, Mm -hmm. right? And we go into fight or flight. And then, if we don't have enough stress in our system, we go down to freeze. So those are the trauma responses we have to stressful or traumatic events Mm -hmm. is to go to fight or flight or shut down and go to freeze. And that choice thing that we were talking about earlier is in the middle of those. Yes. Right. And that's when the stress is manageable. Okay. Someone cut me off and I had to like tighten up real quick. Ah, Take a breath. You know, they're off the road. I'm safe. Right. That's when stress is manageable. Mm -hmm. But if it's too much, then it becomes toxic stress and it's too little it's also toxic but it's too little stress
1: yeah so i i like the way you frame those with those um let's say too much too soon uh
0: too much too fast
1: too much too fast
0: too little too long
1: and too much, or, or for, too too long. much for too long yeah. yeah so how would you uh frame something like micro inequities mm-hmm. uh where it they're not big things they're little things yeah. like just constantly wear at you sure. over a very long time they're not big right. but they're just so consistently mm-hmm. present that uh they they become they they end up becoming
0: big they become the big trauma, Yeah, right yeah. That's, that that would be too little for too long too little for too long not getting your needs met okay sure, you know, all right that would be at the core of um a lot of our a society i think you know people in lower economic uh social situations that don't have enough resources for too long of a period of time right and then what do you see happening that stress gets toxic and you either get people that are rising up and fighting right or trying to flee and go somewhere else mm-hmm. or just shutting down and staying where they're at yes generation after generation thank you right yeah um, yeah
1: because i i went it just with the example that you used of not getting enough love mm-hmm. over a long period of time that's something positive being withheld right. micro inequities are typically something harmful right. but in small doses that are delivered over mm-hmm. a very long time
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That, and that could be that could also i mean it could also fall into too much for too long yeah right too much crime in a neighborhood mm-hmm. that you're not necessarily a part of, but you hear, yes, or witness. Yeah, you know, over and over, over and over Right. Right. Um too little resources. I would say too many resources could be a trauma too. Say more. Uh well, you know, you have your um the resource quarters. Oh, right. That's a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they didn't have enough at some mm-hmm. point. Okay. Now they have more than enough and they're just kind of sitting with it yes you know what i mean yeah and it's that's their trauma response is to hold on to that
2: interesting right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i have to spend thinking
0: about we can that. unpack it yes like a <laughs> whole bunch you know this, yeah this could be like a 10-hour conversation yeah. if we wanted to.
1: so one thing that i always encourage people to do is to have grace and compassion with mm-hmm. themselves uh-huh. certainly with other people uh-huh. uh but uh it, it, it seems like m- many times people are more willing to offer grace to others, to others. than they are to themselves. Sure. I, yeah. It, it feels like that's got to be a pretty significant barrier to healing if you're not able mm-hmm. to offer that to yourself.
0: Yeah, um, it can be. Um, I was just talking with someone the other day. There's that that quote is you can't love someone until you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And we were dissecting that like crazy because I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, we can love other people. We can have grace and compassion for other people, even if we don't have it for ourselves. That might actually lead us to having it for ourselves. It's, it, yeah,
1: that's interesting, because I have come to believe that it's true. I didn't mm-hmm. used to believe that it was true. Uh-huh. and And then I've been on a journey... Of learning to love myself uh-huh. over the last few years. Yeah. And it's made me realize that I wasn't truly loving other people as fully as I could have, sure. because I didn't love myself. I didn't know how to love other people. I thought I was, but it wasn't the, the level of love. So it's probably a little bit of a, a circular. Point. Yeah, it is a little you bit. Were, you were loving okay. other people. Not fully. Not,
0: not fully. Yeah. That's not, you yeah. Know, the, the quote is you can't love someone unless you yeah. love yourself. Yeah. Right. Right. But you can love someone to the capacity that you know how to love. Yes. Right. And, and again, maybe that will inspire you to do the work that you need to do to love yourself. Yeah. And then when you tap into that, maybe you start to realize your love for others is a little deeper, yeah. or a lot deeper. Yes. Right. I did not love myself when I started my therapy practice mm-hmm. when i started grad school when i started my spiritual i think that's why i went on the spiritual path mm-hmm. because i wanted to learn to love myself right there's all these barriers in the way yeah um and it wasn't until somewhat recently that i actually started to love myself And mm-hmm. i say again because i think it was there at some point yeah you know yeah. Maybe well, for my mind remembers
2: Exactly. But I've
0: held a lot of shame and just self-doubt and, and a lack of love for myself for my entire life, mm-hmm. pretty much. And I've tapped into something different now and it might be because of the work that I do with other people. Mm -hmm. My job is to hold space for people and to love them unconditionally.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. And like someone would say, but you didn't even love yourself. How could you do that?
1: Well, you know, as a spiritual director, I had to learn how to love myself Uh so that I could be unconditional love to the people that I sit with. Um, So it, 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 and it's probably still a journey. There are, Sure. things that i'm still learning to love about myself mm-hmm. i sure. am night and day different from where i was 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. um but uh we it, it's it is so much of it is a journey it's it's not a destination right. it yeah. it is That's the process lot. of learning to understand ourselves and to know where where we are less than we possibly could be mm-hmm. and where we're uh all that we could be. Right. Um, I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've mentioned that on this podcast before. Um, Micah six eight has been a um, a personal mission statement of mine, mm-hmm. and and it ends with walk humbly. Mm-hmm. And I've I've come to believe that walking humbly really means knowing ourselves as. Our Creator right. knows us. Right. All the good things, all the bad things, just raw and pure mm-hmm. and unadulterated. Right, totally. Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. And I and I believe that too. And um, my journey to loving myself didn't really start until I became more embodied mm-hmm. and started this work um, and started to understand that um, the sensations and the emotions that I have. Are not bad. They are part of who I am. And if I can accept those and have love and compassion for those parts of myself, Mm -hmm. then the love for myself just changed automatically. It wasn't sticky notes on my bathroom mirror that said, You are lovable. You are handsome. You are this. You are that. That wasn't going to do it because I could rip those right off and say, You are lying. You know, this is not true. It's when I became to be okay with my embodied experience. Yeah. And also holding the space for others to get there. Yes. And watching them learn to love themselves. That's when it started to change for me. And I would just notice it.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you, but there are sometimes things that I learned from people that I sit with mm-hmm. that are so helpful to me in my 100%.
0: own journey.
2: Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean,
0: we learn from being in connection with each other. Yes. Right? And... When I'm sitting with a client and something comes up that feels uncomfortable for me and my body, that's a signal for me that you got some homework to do, Yeah, you know, their experience brought up something in me that I need to look at and I need to address. And it was through that process of continuing to go back to that place over and over again. What is this? What is this? You know, so I got there. You know, and I'm going to, it's going to happen again. Yeah. It might happen tomorrow. You know, when I get into the office, I learned so much about myself through working with my clients and mm-hmm. it's not their job to teach me. No, anymore, no, no. They do it just by coming into my office and sitting with me. Right. And, you know, they always say, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. And my response is, I can't do it without you. And, and again, that's the spiritual path. It's coming to a place where like, okay, I'm in connection with somebody here there's something in my body that's uncomfortable right and if i'm if, if my spiritual kind of goal is to feel safe in myself and with somebody else i'm not quite there yet yeah,
1: yeah. so you use two words in mm-hmm. the same sentence and a spiritual and body
0: yeah.
1: and i think that there are some who would define spiritual as things disconnected from
0: the body mm-hmm. uh i'm guessing you don't believe that uh uh-uh. uh uh-uh. I think it's an embodied practice. Yeah, I think that our body is is, is an antenna of sorts to tune into a spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just as we are not separate from our bodies, I don't think that we're separate from anything outside of our bodies either. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, you, know? you know, we are connected, even though our right. molecules are not uh, interacting.
0: Right. We're still connected. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and they are interacting. Yeah. In some way, well, yeah, in an energetic way. Yes. You know, if, if I come into the room and you're sitting there smiling and happy, you're like I'm going to feel that. Yes. I'm not just going to, like, oh, he's happy. I need to be happy. Something in my body is going to feel that. Mm. We have an energetic like, a limbic resonance, we mm. call it in the therapy world mm. sometimes. Um, you know, a, there's a resonant field mm. of the people you're with. If you walk into the room and everybody's pissed off, you're going to feel that. Um, And so, you know, we're connected that way. Yes. Yeah. And that's why, you know, in my work, you know, my office is is simple, but nice. There's some plants. There's some nice colors. It's comfy. It feels like a living room. Some people come in I want them to get a sense of what the room feels like and what it feels like to sit with me. Mm -hmm. Right. And now we can get to work because we're not separate. No, we're not. Yeah. No. And we're not separate from anything out there. We're not separate from the clouds or the yeah. trees or anything that I'm looking at. Even these houses our, um, you know, collective energy is mixed up in all of it.
1: Yeah. Have you read um, whole brain living?
0: Uh, Siegel? Daniel Siegel? No, no. no. Joe Bolt Taylor. Ah, uh, not that one. Um, There's so many whole brain things. Yeah, I, I know, know, I know. Yeah.
1: Um, she's a psychoneurologist, I believe is her title. Okay. And she experienced a stroke and uh, lost access to the left side of her brain uh, and was on an eight-year recovery period to regain at least some, if not most of the functioning in the left side of her brain. And she said that the right uh, rear part of the brain is where we connect with the universe. Mm -hmm. And when she lost access to the left side of the brain, she thought she was in this nirvana, Mm -hmm. because everything was connected. And there was no me, it was all us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a powerful way to think about our, our brains are hardwired to find that connection with everybody else. And sometimes we dismiss that or diminish Mm -hmm. it and not allow it to have the credibility that it does because we focus on the rational, logical thinking of our left brain. Absolutely.
0: And that's what a lot of embodiment practices get you to do. Is kind of quiet the left brain and access the right brain mm-hmm. that's what a flow state like yes. dance or celebration yes or yoga or exercise running you know, hiking art, in the woods art, music right music all those things those are all more right brain centered mm-hmm. and even the touch work that i do um, in my practice i do um, this thing called um, teb which is transforming the experience brain and it's all hands-on touch work with mm-hmm. people and the idea is for our nervous systems to communicate, and for their nervous system to start to find regulation in my regulated nervous system. Yeah. But what happens is, uh, uh, one of the cool things is that it gets more into the right brain. Yeah. And they get into this flow state with it. You know.
1: Um, I I really believe our hope as a human race mm-hmm. is yeah. to focus on what our re- right brains have to teach
0: us uh-huh.
1: and to have access it fully. Yep.
0: Absolutely. And of course, I believe. That you know, the work that I do is a pathway to, to get there. Yeah, you know, how egotistical does that sound? Yeah, I know the key, yeah, you know, or I have the key. Yeah, maybe I don't.
2: Yeah, it's a, a, a key. key. Yeah,
0: yeah, I have a key
1: exactly. And, um, so, maybe may one last thought that I want to have, and then I'll give you a chance to and uh, express anything else that we've either unaddressed or uh, perhaps uh, needs reinforcement. Okay, um, I've I've come to appreciate the notion that everything is sacred mm-hmm. and the body is sacred. Yes. There's probably some baggage that comes along with that mm-hmm. uh, because of perhaps some of those puritanical views. Right. Um, but I, I think that uh, we approach this work of understanding our bodies and becoming more and em- Bodied in a different way. If we view our bodies as sacred, mm-hmm. how, how would you respond to that?
0: I would agree with you um that our body is sacred, and that um there should be—I don't want to say has to be—an understanding of that because I try and stay away from definitively Yes, I think there should be an understanding that we are sacred beings, and we can show up in accordance to that. But if you're working with people who don't believe in like, the sacred, how does that translate to them, mm-hmm. right? Um,
1: well, you know, it, it's an interesting question. Uh, another book I just finished reading a, a couple weeks ago uh, was about, it, it, let me see if I remember the title exactly, it was the little book of atheist spirituality, mm, okay. uh, because I a, f- a friend recommended it to me. Because prior to that, reading that book, I had been introduced to the notion that atheists can be spiritual Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, they just don't believe in uh and and, in god or a higher power but they still have a a spiritual connection Mm -hmm. so i wonder if because of our brain wiring Mm -hmm. and what's in that uh right rear part of our brain that we have some natural inclination to view things as sacred even if we can't connect to that or understand it. Sure. I, I think there's there's part of our human experience that has that innate need or drive, and it's
0: just a matter of uncovering it. Right. I think there's always a missing puzzle piece for yes. us as yes. humans. Yes. And in some way, maybe we're always looking for that missing puzzle piece, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't appear. That we're looking for that missing puzzle piece, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I do think I do agree with you. I think that's a, a drive that we all have, whether we name it sacred or not. It might be different, right? But it's that seeking, trying to understand our relationship to the world, yeah, to the universe, yes. And it's, and you know, I, I think if everybody's like real brutally honest, they don't really know. No, no, no. nobody really knows. No, and and, and I, I, th- I
1: think part of the, the Excitement is not knowing Absolutely. And, and keeping it as a mystery yeah. and embracing the mystery mm-hmm. and, uh, not, and being content with not knowing all the answers.
0: Right. And, and you know, uh, I grew up, you know, how the, the household I grew up in, it was like a, a Methodist kind of belief. Right. And then, of course, I had my father's side of the family who were more evangelical. So they kind of had the same belief system, but it looked it sure looked a lot different, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> this one seemed the evangelical side looked a little more scary to me as a child mm-hmm. than the Methodist side. But I be- abandoned both of those as I grew up mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to learn more. I was seeking, okay, I got what I think I got from here. Mm-hmm. So now I'm seeking more. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of that came with like studying Buddhism, studying Hinduism studying Sufism, studying Islam. You know, that's why I went into comparative religious studies. Yeah. So I'm like, I want to understand why all these people have their beliefs about this. I don't want to believe in all these things. I just want to know. So I have some nuggets and some directions to go
1: something more than just where they
0: something, were born exactly and the family that right. they were born into the tradition that they are steeped in yeah and brought up in and this yeah. is just what you do you know i'm more of you know, kind of a rebel and a free thinker right i, I wanted to find out on my own mm-hmm. and the most profound experience that i had were with psychedelic that was the first time when i actually went okay those people who believe in god and think there's something greater than us They might not know how they're correct, but they're correct, right? They know something. And now I know something, right? I've talked to God. I've had that experience. And once you have that experience, it's like, okay, where's the rest of it? Yeah, yeah.
1: There's so much left to learn.
0: Right. But it definitely got me into that notion of, okay, there's something here. And it's greater than me, but it also is part of me. Yes, um, and how do I keep channeling that in my day-to-day
1: life that's you know you know I'm, I'll go back to the vision for the uh, network it's awakening lives transforming the mm-hmm. world right it's not just a matter of being more awake or more woke
0: right
1: uh it, it it's what do you do with yeah, that I'm information how do you live your life right. as a result of this right. how do you interact with your fellow human being with the plants that are on this planet and the air that we breathe, it's, it's all about how it's all integrated and 100%. transformed to something that is more beautiful than what we encountered.
0: Yeah, it's like the old G.I. Joe things. Uh, the PSAs at the end of G.I. Joe cartoons.
1: I don't remember right.
0: what. Well, they, at the end of each G.I. Joe episode, they would show like a clip of kids doing something they shouldn't be doing. And then a G.I. Joe person comes in and schools them and teaches them the way like you, you know can't play around these power lines right and they would be like thank you and now we know and he would say yes and knowing is half the battle <laughs>
2: okay right that's awesome yeah
0: <laughs> and and so now that i know diff- certain certain things right i know from my experience that there is some sort of god and then that is running through me in some way and i also have to like integrate that and i have to know that that's also true for you if, if that's what I believe for me, then that's what I believe for you, and that's what I believe for you know this person and, and whoever I see in the world. But if I'm not treating everybody in that way. And I'm not integrating that experience like I should be. Um, and still... it comes
1: back to the values. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what do we hold true? What do we believe? Right. How do we act as a result of that? Right,
0: right. And my values will shift and change yeah. as I do my growth. And what I think I know about myself right now, which I think I know a lot, I'm pretty grounded in who I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to look back in 10 years and be like, uh, <laughs> you know, I was missing a big chunk. Yeah. You know, yeah. But that's the process of growing and doing your work and being intentional
1: about it well ryan uh thank you for this time is is there anything else that uh you'd like to bring up for our listeners that uh would uh be helpful you know any anything that uh we've uh, addressed that uh, maybe didn't quite hit home as strongly mm-hmm. as you'd
0: want to no i think i think the most important thing that i try and remember for myself and for other people is that our, our mind and body are not separate. And, and that for us to be kind of fully realized as humans, we have to get back to that wisdom of the body, right? We have to get back to what like ancient cultures knew um, and, and create more ritual, um, lean into storytelling, lean into connection um, with other people, right? Um, create and sustain safe and healthy relationships and feel that in your body when that happens right um i think that's our key to like another wave of evolution maybe Mm -hmm. as a species and at the same time i look at how many people are in the world that are just going through the motions on autopilot and doing what they think is the right thing and it may be right for them right but I can see so much trauma being passed down. Yeah, we pass down trauma. We also pass down healing, mm-hmm. right? And I think every generation, in some ways, passes down some sort of healing or at least less trauma. Yeah, than before. I hope so. I would hope so. Yeah, and I see that in the people that I work with. Like usually, people didn't have it as bad as their parents. Mm-hmm. Did, yeah, right? their parents did something different that made their lives a little better. Sometimes, even in some of the most like brutal cases, mm-hmm. I see that so I try and hold that hope and intention for people like that. That's the case that we're trying, but if, if we can be more intentional about it and really, um, you know, the focus on creating safe and healthy relationships. Yeah. That's the key. That's the key. I, I
1: totally agree.
0: You know, um, I know you've read some of Mate's work now. Yes. Yeah. Um, brilliant stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, And uh, if you look at, like, attachment research, right, one of the undisputed facts that we can say now is that secure, attached relationships, meaning healthy, safe relationships, are the main predictor of our overall overall mental, physical, and spiritual, emotional health, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So if we have safe and secure relationships in our lives, we're going to live longer. We're going to be happier. We're going to be, you know, um, we're going to feel good in our bodies. And we're going to experience joy more often. We're less likely to get sick if we're in a healthy relationship, right? And I think we've lost our way in our culture on what a healthy relationship looks like.
1: But we can learn and we can we can move. If we have uh, unhealthy attachment mm-hmm. uh, types, mm-hmm. we can move to a secure attachment. We, we can learn ways that uh, we can uh, be better for ourselves and for the people that uh we yeah. care about.
0: Yeah. it's We're not stuck. Yes. That's the beauty of the brain and the nervous system Yes, the neuroplasticity. Our brains can change and our nervous systems can change, but we have to, this is where our agency comes in, right? Yeah. We have to like intentionally engage in ways that shift our nervous system and our brain. And, and some of these embodied practices and some of the ones that we're going to be doing at that workshop mm-hmm. um, are exactly those ways on how to shift them. And that's great. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Ryan, thank you so much. Yeah, this has too. been so
0: good. It's wonderful.
1: So for our thank listeners, you. thank you for joining us today for Awakening Lives. This is one more way the Spirituality Network connects people with resources for spiritual growth and depth, regardless of faith tradition, through education and training, spiritual direction for individuals and groups, and community programs and events ecumenical and interfaith the spirituality network honors diversity and does not proselytize if you wish to know more about our programming please visit spiritualitynetwork.org where you'll find events such as the workshop that ryan is going to be leading on september 30th Uh, you'll find information about that on our uh, website it's a full day workshop and uh, should be a great event that uh, we'll explore much more than we've been able to explore here. This has just been the tip of the iceberg. Right, it's just a little intro. Awesome, yeah. thanks
2: again, Ryan. Yeah, thank you, it's been an honor.